0: This is Christian. This is Keith, and we are at DragonCon. So, Keith, uh, you've done some several sessions or panels already. I found them incredibly useful, um, and uh, I, I think I think they're great. Uh, you just finished World Building One Hundred One with um, uh, Ken, Ken Hite Hites. more British. Yes, that's incredible. That was an incredible uh, panel. Uh, you also did uh, sessions yesterday. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah,
1: well, we had a session on raising the stakes, uh, which is about sort of how do you bring suspense uh, or you know use things like threat of death or consequences, you know, as part of your story. Uh, that was with Gim, Gwendolyn Kestrel and John Wick, and John had just some really yeah. amazing things. Both I definitely am going to start to use. People, yeah.
0: yeah, John. Oh, I was taking notes, stealing ideas. Yep. I'm like, this is. I'm going to use this in my Savage Worlds games. I'm going to use in my Eberron games. Yeah, lots of good stuff that came out of that. So, and you had some great stuff as well. Obviously. Well, I, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I was just on the panel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, fair enough. And um, yeah, so uh, what else? Anything else so far about your DragonCon experience? You want to share? Uh, I mean, DragonCon's yeah. always always uh, great just because
1: there's so many engaged game- gamers, and yeah. it's sort of weird that in some ways, especially with things like panels, I find that the panels here are better attended and more energized than even at a, game, a place like Gen Con. You really? know, I, which, for some way I think it may just be that at Gen Con, people are there to play. Yes. Uh, and yeah. there's sort of so much right. that you know uh, you're not as excited, whereas because there's a smaller amount of it at Dragon Con, right. you
0: know, that's a greater appeal. And I think it feels more intimate, too. Yeah, there's definitely. more, more opportunity definitely. to get your question in, yep. more, uh, more direct feedback. Like at the beginning of uh, your uh, Games and Worlds mm-hmm. uh, panel uh, with you and Jen. Um, You know, you took questions beforehand, before we started, just as, what are you guys interested in hearing about? And and that feels really intimate. I I always
1: like, when I'm doing a panel anywhere, to start by just saying, why are you here? You know, what is it you're hoping to get from this? So tomorrow I'm doing a panel on monster ecology. Mm -hmm. Essentially, why is it useful to think about your, you know, your monsters as as creatures? Uh, And another one about mad scientist game mastery.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Which, that title, yeah, play.
1: well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've gotten dropped into it, so it's, uh, it's funny because a bunch of the things they've described, they're like, talk about troop play, and talk about getting your players involved in there, and I'm like, I'm not sure there's really mad scientists. I think that's, that's, you know, that's getting to be fairly mundane, straightforward stuff. But, right. but okay, yeah. I, will, I will try and break the bonds of, of game mastery here.
0: Awesome, very awesome. Cool. I'm
1: sad I didn't bring a lab coat.
0: Oh, yes. You should. I'm sure there's some, somebody somewhere here has one that you can probably borrow, I'm sure. So, um, uh, so one of the things I, I thought would be a really good topic for Dragon Con, and to talk about Eberron, don't tell anybody, Keith just built his Diet Coke. Oh! oh. Um, so one of the things I thought would be really cool to talk about is trying to run an Eberron game at a, in a con game. Yep. Because Eberron typically really lends itself well, I think, to campaign play. But uh, I think there's also opportunity to kind of do a, a super-focused session, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to hear some of other ideas that you might have. So,
1: so that's the thing, is uh, one-shots are a very interesting challenge. And I think I actually wrote about uh, running one-shots in the Cobalt Guide to Game Mastering, mm-hmm. actually, specifically, because it's something I do a lot. Uh, you know, aside from Playtesting Phoenix... I don't have a lot of time for long-term campaigns, and I'm constantly going to conventions. I'm constantly doing right. special events, so one-shots are more what I get to do. Uh, and in particular, in 2009, I did the thing where I traveled around the world and I ran the same one-shot game 56
0: times. Right.
1: And the thing is, you, you mentioned
0: in a panel that yep. never in those 56 times it was never it ever came the out same. exactly the same. Yeah.
1: And certainly as it went on, it would start being a one from column A, one from column B. You know, they're doing a 52A with a twist, you know, right. with a bow tied on. But it was never exactly the same, right. uh, you know, patterns. And people would always come up with something I hadn't seen before.
0: Nice.
1: Um, and part of that is designing the game with that in mind. You mm-hmm. know, so the point is, I could run that game right now. And believe me, after running 56 times, I could. Right. Uh, and it would still be interesting to me. Because I'm still going to be like, well, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to take this? So it's not like a simple dungeon crawl where it's just do you go left or right? It's a how are you going to solve this problem? What's your creative approach to it? Um, But that whole thing of what is so wonderful about role playing games is that we are building a story together and we get to explore the world and the characters over time. You know, that it is a novel. And at the start of a novel, we don't know who these characters are, and by the end, we love them. Uh, Whereas you don't have that in a con game, you know, you only have two to four hours. The players don't know each other, Mm -hmm. you know, they have no history to work with. So how do you get that same satisfying experience uh, if that's what you're looking for? And it always is for me. I always want something that I feel is a good story. Right. Uh, And similarly... Or or the
0: experience that when the players walk away from that table. They're like, that was great.
1: And similarly, the big challenge to me is, so for the last four or five years, I've been doing a thing called Celebrity D20, mm-hmm. uh, or Celebrity Charity D20, CCD20. Oh, right, yes. And that I do with Team Phoenix. Uh, we're getting ready for the next one. And that it is basically, it's sort of, if you will, tabletop, uh, you know, with Eberron. So it's a bunch of sort of minor, uh, you know, voice actors, people like that. Um, Matthew Mercer was one of our game masters before he right. hit it big with, with uh, Critical Role, critical role right? um, and the whole thing there is you are potentially dealing with people who don't necessarily know D&D well and who definitely don't know Eberron well right. and so you've got this line between uh, really wanting something that showcases the setting but only having Mace. two hours to do it
0: that's, that's, I ran into that last year or just this past mm-hmm. spring I was at Mace West I ran my first con game and it was in Eberron and, and I was struggling with that. I was, I was trying to figure out how do I highlight Eberron as a setting and also condense that into four yep. hours. Yep. You know.
1: And the flip side of that is that when I have something like the game I ran 56 times, mm-hmm. uh, what I have there is the other thing. of I am traveling around the world, staying with people who I know are Eberron fans. That's why I'm there. Right. What is the experience I can give them that is not just the adventure they're going to play next week with their home game? Right.
0: And you don't have to introduce them to it either.
1: Right, right. And that's the thing. I know they know the setting. What is the thing that I can do that's going to really be like, wow, okay, didn't see that coming. Right, right. Uh, So I may have talked about these in some of our previous sessions. I can't remember. You know, one of my things is I like to pick, uh, I always use pre-generated characters. Mm -hmm. Because pre-generated characters give me the ability to say these characters have connections they have a story they right. aren't just randomly meeting in a tavern there is a story already in place right. this is a relationship what, and so on yeah. and what I will do on top of that then is to give players questionnaires mm-hmm. uh, so for example the game I ran for Charity d d last year um, is a game in which all the players are uh, I can't remember I think they were Syrian soldiers okay uh, who had been prisoners of war in a Carnathy prison camp, where they've been used in necromantic experiments, oh, wow. and they've gotten away. The commandant of the camp had been convicted as a war criminal, and they tracked him down to Graywall, and now they're trying to, you know, get justice. Right. A little bit of um, And so it's, it's a, it's a uh, scenario people can immediately sort of get their concept with, you know, this guy did horrible things to us. We're here to bring him to justice. Right. Uh, but the questionnaires were all things like saying, uh, you know, basically what was the worst thing that happened to you at the camp? And in this case I use multiple choice because I didn't, you know, the players don't necessarily know enough about the setting right. to give answers. Uh, but basically... Um, you know, some of the questions. One of them was the Warforge. You know, the Warforge fighter. And I'm like, uh, some part of you was left behind. What was it? You know, they would take you apart and stick you back together. And it's like, did you lose your arm? Did you lose your, you know, your leg? Did you lose your entire body? Like, your head has actually been applied to a different Warforge body. Wow. And, and, you know, that's what you've got. Uh, You know, you had the... um, Who did you leave behind? And everyone had, you know, right. here's, here's three choices. You know, was it was it your cook from your unit? Was right. it, you know, your brother? Was it whatever? You know, but basically, again, giving people questions so they establish the connections between the, the characters. But also, again, the players are thinking about it. Right. It's not right. simply I'm telling you you were tortured by vampires. I'm saying... Were you tortured by vampires? Were you energy drained by shadows? You know what was it? And you start thinking about that. right. right. Um, and further, regardless of what answer you choose, it tells the players all three of these things are possible. Right. Uh, so it's giving them a very quick: this is a world where we have a crazy undead death camp right. that you could be sent to. That's
0: what you're um, there was one question you also. Uh, yeah. Was in the raising the stakes thing, and, and you and John Wick were talking about. Um, questions, you know, for players right, right. But one question I really loved, and I actually made a note of it, was what's the mis- what's the one mistake you made? Yes, which and I've that's
1: loved. and that's a question I always like to say with with Eberron, is you know what was your biggest mistake or right. what's your one you know your biggest regret? regret because yeah. to me that comes back to pulp characters. That's a or not pulp but noir noir specifically. Right. The whole point is everybody's made a mistake, right. and if you're not big on it. Make it something minor. That's fine. I'm not going to judge your your answer. But stop and think about that. What is the thing your character regrets? (laughs) You know? um, Now, that point, the Syrian story, was the point is, that's one that I made for people who don't know Eberron well. Because it's an easy idea for them to pick up on. Uh, Prisoner of War. Get it. Tortured by a bad guy. Get it. Undead, ooh, creepy undead stuff. Understood. You know, I mean, that's easy for them to go with, and then we run from there. Yeah. Looking to some of the... Uh, I have, you know, two Eberron games. I've run a whole bunch. First off, the run I ran 56 times, which I call unusual suspects, uh, is a thing where it's also set in Joanne, because I love me some Greywall. Yeah. Uh, and it is also going after a war criminal. Nice. But you are actually agents of the Daughters of Sorakel, where they have basically assembled a team... Uh, of agents from different warlords uh, and you're being sent out on this joint mission. You know, you're know you representing the whole idea of Droam that we're all working together and right. so there's a minotaur barbarian yeah, there's nice. a kobold sorcerer there's a goblin rogue there's a werewolf ranger uh, there's a, a doppelganger uh, bard, right. I think is what she is uh, and a like, null. This
0: coalition of these well, what, what and, are normally cultural monsters that are right. very different and separate geographically? And, here's how they're working.
1: And it, it comes to the first off, you're taking all these creatures that we generally think of as the bad guys, and I'm like, and this is you. You're the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, and then each one of them does have, here's a little background about who your warlord is and what are your personal right. goals here. You know, In addition to the main goal, do you have a secret agenda You know, or something like that? Um, and basically, you are trying to find this elven wizard... Uh, who is a war criminal from Andere who is in the process of swapping his mind into a new body. Right. And it is basically, you've just discovered he's in Grey Wall, but he's going to have this ritual done by Don. And right. so you basically have 24 hours to track him down so you can capture him and take him to the Great Crag right. before he's in a new body and no one's ever going to find him again.
0: So that's an interesting component where you've added a time element. Yes. Because we're talking about a con game, right? Yes, so exactly. make sure they get... Right, point, right, right, and they don't lollygag and, and so on. Right. So putting that time element in is, it seems, it, you've done this, huh? it seems like it's a great way to right. keep that momentum going forward. And
1: and that's exactly the thing is you want something, and this comes up in Phoenix a lot as well, mm-hmm. you want something where the players feel in a sense there is suspense, there is tension. Right. If we don't do this within this time, yeah, and what happens bomb, you know. What happens in Unusual Suspects is the first question is, well, okay, there's an elf wizard somewhere in Greywall. Right. How are you going to find and that's what I'm saying is there's a bunch of things. that people have no ideas, they can start making knowledge local checks. You know, they can come up with stuff. But people start saying, like, if he's doing a big ritual, who here sells magic, you know, components for magic? Right. Uh, other people are saying, well, I'm going to try and just check the foreign quarters. You know, One of the things I love is what people do with the doppelganger. We've had people show up saying, I'm going to pretend to be his pregnant wife. Oh, and I'm coming to look for to him or it, yeah. I'm going to be his brother right. or I'm going to be him and start walking around seeing who says hey you you owe me money you know or right. basically that kind of thing and so that's what I'm saying is I'm always excited to see what does someone come up with this time yeah, yeah. Uh, but as they start going through they start finding leads but then the leads keep turning up dead you know they get there just after someone's assassinated them or in the moment you're talking to the guy and assassins show up trying to get rid of him right um, so again, you have that sense of this is happening now, we've that got urgency, to move. Yeah. But as I said, I love it because it flips it around so you're the monsters instead mm-hmm. of the hero, you know, the, the traditional heroes, and you're in a city of monsters. Right. Which again, flips the, the turnaround, and you're hunting the elf, right. you know. Your expectations as a player...
0: Are now shifted. Um, shifted the, around. Yeah.
1: And like I said, this probably isn't a game you've been playing, uh, right. you know, normally. So that's one that I really enjoy doing. And like I said, ran that 56 times. Nice. You know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, another one I've run a couple times that I really like is the um, the Undead 18. Mm-hmm. And this is set in Carnap, And it is... You are uh, a group of people who fought for the Ebon Skull. The Ebon Skull is one of the same orders, along the same lines as the Emerald Claw. Right. But what we're saying is, they didn't go bad, you know. After the thing, they were just doing their job. They were like all the blood of Val shemarrek orders. They were disavowed by the crown at the end of the war. And this principle is, you know, you served your country faithfully. You were thrown into a stockade for a crime you didn't commit. You're broken out, and you know now you're trying to help. Persecuted seekers, uh, you know, while you can. And so the group there is uh, a paladin of the blood of Val, a necromancer, a tomb guardian, that's a four-armed skeleton, uh, a Carnathi zombie, uh, a flame skull, which is a floating skull, and that's the sorcerer, you know, he's their fire support, but he's also uh, essentially their face, you know, he's he's really good at. uh, deception and such yeah uh, and a ghost who um, you know can walk through walk through walls yeah, and yeah. such. Um, and the story basically starts giving this away for anyone who unfortunately is gonna you know uh, run into me but I haven't run this one for a while. The story starts with basically them going to the Necromancer's family's house. Okay. Uh, you know it's his brother you know he's gonna check in on his brother see how they're doing in little sort of uh, a seeker that is to say blood of all community. They get there, discover uh, his family's been killed. uh, And then immediately as they're trying to figure out what's going on, why is the whole family dead, uh, the city watch starts pounding on the door. Right, and it's right. like okay, it's basically the setup. Uh, it's Rorschach getting framed in Watchmen.
0: Yes, right. it's like
1: suddenly you're standing over a bunch of dead, dead people, bodies, and the police are, right. are banging on the door. What do you you're do? The only
0: people, and you know,
1: and they basically get out of there. They've got to figure out who's doing this, why, yeah. get to the bottom of it, and solve the problem. Uh, but again, it twists the whole thing of suddenly, you know, a lot of times people see the blood of all not as bad a light as they might. But here we're saying. You are the necromancer. You are the flame skull. Right. Uh, right. And you're just trying to, to look after, you know, your own people. Right. Uh, and
0: it's That's interesting a, yeah. to flip it on the... Because you've talked about this in the past about Blood of all not necessarily yep. being inherently evil people. Absolutely. And this is a great way to shine the light on that. Right. And
1: and, 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 yeah. and the point is this doesn't change the fact that the Amor Pla are terrible people. Right. But yeah. it's saying... They're only this tiny extremist faction right. of the main group and saying, here's how you see necromancy being used in a way that is actually supporting the people right. as opposed to, uh, to being in any way evil, right. you know. Right. Um, and so, like I said, I love those two adventures just because I love casting someone in a role they've probably never played, you know, odds are good you haven't played a flame skull in your normal Eberron right. campaign. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, and having you explore perspective. Mm-hmm. Again, most of the time you've probably been playing folks who are sort of opposed to the Daughters of Shorakel, not actually playing the kobold who's pretty psyched that uh, you know, finally Kethelrax has a voice in things. You know, you and the goblin are there to represent for Kethelrax you know but you kind of like something bad to happen to that damn minotaur because he's a big jerk
0: you know um so when you're so when you're thinking when you sit down you're like I'm going to create a con adventure whether Uh, was Carvest, uh, Kyber's Harvest originally? Kyber's Harvest was a free RPG thing. So it right. was
1: always known. It wasn't really. Kyber's Harvest was created as something that you could play with any group of characters. Oops. Right. Whereas, as I said, these other games are things You're that... setting up a deliberate... It's uh, very sorry. much set up deliberate. Yeah. And all the ones I've done... Uh, I think it's One Night in Greywall is what I think that, that first one I talked about is. Uh, and all of those, any of the things I do for the charity D&D, you can actually get by donating to the charity cause. Uh Uh, And the point is, those all come with you know, here are the five characters, here are the question questionnaires, oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, and so you're really getting the entire package experience. Right. Because to me, again, the thing about a one-shot is it's very much like writing a short story instead of a novel. Mm-hmm. And so you're starting with that. What is the story? What is the drive? Who are the characters? How are right. they connected? I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know the path. So looking to Unusual Suspects, the game that is in the the gray wall, you're playing Monsters. The way it works is it's very sandboxy initially. I just drop you in, uh, you know, in gray wall and say you've got 24 hours to find this guy. What are you going to do? On the other hand, I have sort of established six different, these are the paths they're probably going to take. If you have no ideas, if you make, you know, a, a, a checks, these are the things I'll tip you off to. You know, right. okay, here is the person who is the main source of magical supplies. You know, or you could go talk to House of the Rash because a job like this would take a lot of dragon shards. Right. And, you know, well, they've got an office here. You know, here's the main bar for expats. You know, right. someone there probably knows them. You know, sort of, I've got those laid out. I don't know which ones you follow, but basically what I know is there's four to six good leads here. But they're all going to lead you to this dwarf.
0: Okay. Because this is the
1: guy. I don't know what path you're going to take to get there, but I know sooner or later the dwarf is the bottleneck. Right. So I know we're going to get to this scene. Right. And I don't know how well you're going to handle it or what's going to happen, but I know eventually from that scene you're going to get the information that then leads you to his lair. You know, assuming you don't just fail completely and miss the whole (laughs) thing. And I know we're going to have that scene.
0: Yeah.
1: And... I don't know, are you going to bargain with him? Are you going to try and take him alive? Are you just going to kill him? But I know we're going to end with a dramatic confrontation in his lair. And so the point is, in that short story in my mind, I don't know exactly how it's going to play off, but I know it's going to start with investigating the murders and such. It's going to, uh, in the middle, going to be you find his lieutenant, uh, and then it's going to end with a showdown in his lair. And my point is... Not every, you know, one shot like this has to be that uh, sandbox. The ones I did uh, for the charity game was just a two-hour game, so it was very tight. It yeah, was yeah. basically, you have tracked him right. to this inn. How are you going to get down there and get to him? Right. But it is still, the story is about this. You know, this is the short story. It is the scene where you get to the inn. Mm-hmm. and You have to find where this guy is and bring him to justice, right. you know, sort right. of thing. Um... And you want to make sure that that is a story that is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, you know, and as I say, you do that by giving the players reasons to hate this guy. You know, why does the player care about this guy? Well, it's because we've established the horrible things he did to you, the people you had to leave behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I hate to spoil this one, but, you know, one of my other favorite uh, non Eberron one shots I've done is this game called Penance, uh, that's also available on the, the charity site and Penance starts off as the breakfast club and it is very much you are a bunch of teenagers in this village uh, who are being sent on a scared straight you're going to go down into the scary dungeon you know because of the bad things you've done and there it's the the cleric is the cheerleader the paladin is the jock the kid brother is the quote halfling rogue even though we're just saying he's just a kid Uh, and you know they're all third level characters which is ridiculous level you know the nerd is the wizard ridiculous level of skill for you know a a kid like that to have but the point is we don't care you know it doesn't matter you're not being measured up against anything else we're just saying okay you're
0: you're, you're isolated in this group these are the these are the powers you
1: have you're the jock Uh, and the thing about it is Everybody immediately latches on because they get it. I'm the nerd, you're the jock, even though I'm the wizard, you're the paladin. It's a stereotype they can latch onto and that's right. very easy for people who don't even know D&D very well. You go down into the dungeon and you assume this is going to be a simple dungeon crawl and instead, in the first room, you find an idol, you move the idol, and the whole dungeon collapses. Oh, right. It's basically totally the opening of Raiders of the yeah. yeah. And when you return to the village because you've got to dig your way out of the rubble you find the gap to the village and you discover while you've been down in the dungeon there's been a zombie outbreak and it's 28 days later because you moved the thing and part of the point of that is i use questionnaires so we have the nerd the cheerleader the jock but i say things like with the cheerleader uh your you got into a fight with your kid sister you know uh emily this morning what was it about uh, with the, the kid who's the rogue you're best friends with the cleric's uh, kid sister and she asked you to do something you play some kind of trick what was it right. and everybody there's a tavern in town called the Crooked Cat it's full of cats who's your favorite cat then? Right. one of the first things that happens when they get back out of the dungeon into the village is they discover the kid's sister being attacked by a zombie cat and oh, first wow. off it's somebody's favorite cat right. yeah. after they have to beat that up at Every which point everyone's like, Oh my god, is my cat okay? Right. Uh, and then they discover that the kid sister has been bitten. Right. We are only figuring out how this zombie thing works. We don't know how to cure her. Right. Are you That's gonna kill her? How quick what going to are you gonna crap,
0: do?
1: And yeah. Uh and invariably the point is the, the cleric character's like, Holy crap, uh, we just had that stupid fight about sweaters or right. whatever it was. And so it was, again, they didn't think everybody can come up with a story about what you have what was the fight you had with your kid sister. Right. But when they're doing it, they aren't assuming this is going to be a critical, now I'm going to have to decide whether to cut we our head suspect,
0: off. I suspect, but yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's and good, so though. suddenly yeah. people go from this, I thought this was a simple dungeon crawl, to, oh my god, you know, how are right. all these things that, that we've sort of randomly thought about, these characters, going to be directly relevant? Because right. I suddenly realize all this
0: matters. Well, it's kind of like John Wick yesterday saying, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, when you give me the the three, the three questions that he asks, he's like, "You better believe that when I get that that list from you, oh, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, fuck with those things, like right." Can't be-
1: and and you know, and that's the point of Phoenix. Phoenix mm-hmm. is character creation, right? Uh, mechanically, is really quite simple,
0: right?
1: Uh, you know, you're picking your school and such, but a, a inherent part of character creation is. Uh, in Phoenix, you are someone who died and came back to life imbued with supernatural power so you could fight this great evil. Uh, but that didn't come easily. You had to sort of fight through trials. You needed know, yeah. to learn the skills you needed. So it's always, who were you in your first life? How did you die? What gave you the determination and strength you needed to come back? You know, What are you yeah. fighting for? And what is your greatest fear
0: you know, even now? So when you're, when you're doing these questions at the beginning of a session yeah. for a con game, because again, yeah. limited time, yep. how much time do you spend on that? So this is the thing. With a con game,
1: this is why the questions are going to be much narrower. Right. And that's why, like, in the ch- uh, celebrity charity game, it's even uh, multiple choice. Okay. Because we don't have a lot of time. Right. I don't want you sitting down. And some players, if you give them, you know, space for a paragraph, they'll write a page. Right. And so spend that's why And, about uh, and yeah. so that's why in something like um, uh, something like penance, I usually do leave them open-ended because it's pretty easy. No one's going to spend a page talking about the fight they have right. with their sister right. uh, or their favorite cat. But in something even like Phoenix, you know, uh, when I'm running it at a con, I again, they don't know the world, they don't know what the options are. So I am going to say, how did you die? Were you torn apart right. in a chant outbreak? Were you, did you hold a bridge to protect a group of people running away? Right. Did you do this other thing?
0: Yeah. Uh, so in the case of, for example, in Everon, if we're talking about you know, what, were your, what was your worst mistake... Right,
1: right I'm going to give you three options. choices. And I do. You know, yeah. in, uh, in one of the other charity games, it's exactly that. It's right. saying, like, okay, you're in hock mm-hmm. to the Boromar claim. What was it? Right. You know, well, you know, you needed money for your children. Right. Uh, you just had a chance to get rich quick. Right. You know, I mean, I think it's it's the rogue in that adventure, basically, is you need 800 gold pieces for something. Right? Is it because you're trying to raise money for Syrian refugees? Is it you got a land deal that, right. you know, is really going to make your fortune? Right. Or is it something else? Thieves, and it's a Thieves Guild thieves, membership. Yeah. And basically, any one of those gives the player a... A, this is something someone can need money for in this world, right. and B, now my character has a, has a thing. Am I, am I trying to, to go and be, a, you know, I'm trying to buy an inn, right. or am I trying to help refugees? Right. And right. that already just immediately gives them a hook
0: right. of
1: something I can dig into and start role-playing with. Right. Uh, so like I said, in Phoenix, where we're going to play it as a campaign. I want you to think on these, and then we'll build on them together. Over time. We don't have to right. know all the details right away. Right. You know, I know that the thing you care about is your family, and they're often a village. Mm-hmm. As we're going there, if we actually then go to your homeland, then we can start saying, well, tell me more. You know, right. how extended is your family? You know, how many of them do- You know, I mean, stuff like that. We don't have to know all those details right away. Right. But at least I know yeah. what matters to you is your family, and I can play with it. Right, right.
0: That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and before we start recording, you were talking a little bit about Phoenix and everything believe, where even in play, right. when you play a certain card, for example, you're you're enabling the GM is enabling the player to say, Tell me how that's that effect or that ability is relative to what you're trying to accomplish. What's the story behind that?
1: Right. Yeah. And and so in Phoenix, you know, the card in particular we're talking about is a trait called Seen This Before. Mm-hmm. And the point is, in a situation, if the player can tell me, well you know, Yeah, back before I died or on my very first mission, I saw, you know, I dealt with a zombie. In fact, I died in a zombie plague, you know. Uh, And it really is about, if it makes a good story, great. Uh, It also reminds me, one of my favorite, you know, sort of random systems out there is a free-to-play system called Lady Blackbird by John Harper. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I love about that is how you gain experience in that game is each character has three different ways to gain experience Mm -hmm. that are personal to them. Like you might have a tag that is, you know, key of the leader or whatever it's called. And it is anytime time the group of players follows a plan that you've made, you get a point of experience. Nice. And so rather than saying you are the leader, right. it's saying if you are the leader, right. you're going to get experience. Right. And one of the things, like when I was running a game in my previous uh, world I was playing round with, which was called Codex, I was running using Lady Blackbird. Uh, and I have one of the characters, was any time uh, you encounter someone you know from somewhere else, right. or any time you uh, contribute a piece of, you know, you explain a local custom or piece of lore, right. you get a point of experience, because this was the nice. sort of sage, it was the bard type character. Right. Right. And the whole idea was that because we were very flexible and open at that time, right. that it was the opportunity for we get to the village. To me, for the bard to be able to say, oh, I know a guy here. There's a used sword salesman. You right. know, he could help us out. And I'd be like, great, have a point of experience. And let's run with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was bardic knowledge, instead of saying, "roll to see, roll to see, it was yeah. saying, tell me a custom. Right. And if I'm like, yes, that's right. Right. Uh, and, you know, of course, I always have the opportunity to say, no, I think you're thinking of something else. I think right. that's, that's the next village over. But, you know, generally speaking, there's no reason to do that. It's always fun to say, yeah. oh, you know, great. Uh, and because the players picked
0: that character, they hopefully are a person who wants to do that. You know, and I think that's interesting because you you could bring that to, like, a con game, for example, and use yep. it, and even using 3-5 or, uh, or whatever system that maybe has, like, a mechanic yep. for points, like, action points, right? Yep. So let's say you want to entice a player to mm-hmm. say, tell me about such and such, right? And then you can give, them like, a reward, like, here's an action point. and I have
1: a feeling that I've done that in one of those charity games Mm -hmm. specifically something like that like the um, I I feel like I had a thing with the the prisoners of war where it was something where once per game you could have a flashback and it was basically if you can tell me How this current situation somehow is relevant to or triggers, uh, you know, memories from something that has happened in the past, you got advantage. Nice. Uh, And it was just, you know, everybody gets that one moment where they get to say, oh, I've been waiting for this ever since, you know, uh, blank be blank. Right. You know. Uh, And yeah, absolutely, again, it doesn't matter, especially even taking something like 5e, it's an easy way to use the advantage system. It's not a way that's built in, uh, right. But in part, looking at 5e specifically, 5e has all those backgrounds and flaws and stuff like that. And the point is, with the one-shot, we don't have time for that. No. Because you're no. not making the character. Right. So instead, it was a, a narrower way to get that same effect mm-hmm. of, well, you get to have advantage at some point yeah. because of a cool thing about your character.
0: You know, and, I, and I've seen, like, actually, in my Gambron uh, game, game that I ran... Um, Back at Mace West, uh, it was it was using Savage Worlds, and, and Savage Worlds has hindrances. But what I did is I didn't actually prescribe the hindrances; I left those right, open, right? And I said, "You tell me what your hindrances are." Right. And that was sort of their way of being able to color the character a little bit, and then just a fun way where, in the middle of the session, something funny or something yeah. relevant, you know, something dramatic, even, um, they're able to bring that in. Sometimes it's actually like a mechanical hindrance, uh, where they get a penalty to something for some reason. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's, well, there's always opportunities for things like. That.
1: And, and just going back to that uh, panel yesterday, i just got to tell the story because I just loved it and thought it was yeah. brilliant, of uh, John Wick uh, is using a system which I think might be in 7C, I'm not sure because I haven't played it, uh, where it's basically when you're called upon to make a roll, you can choose to just automatically fail yes, to get it. a token that later right. you can choose to automatically succeed. Right. Uh, and, you know, the game master gets to sort of narrate the, the failure or success, as it were, but you, know, you can still do that. And what he was saying is there was a situation where it was a one shot adventure, they were fighting a particular, it was, it was like that prisoner of war story, you know, where they're yeah. trying to get the, the villain that, that's been coming down. One of the players basically said, Is it remotely possible? for me to basically have a romance with this villain, you know, right. and, like, win them over, and win them back to the life side, nice. you know. And he was like, sure, you know, I mean, that's conceivable. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, not saying you're just going to get it, but it's conceivable. Yeah. Uh, and that the guy just used that as his character note, you know, is doing the thing. Finally, they get to the very end. Uh, they're facing the villain on the parapet. Uh, she's sort of holding him at sword point, and he makes his impassioned, speech of, you know, I've loved you since the moment I saw you, you know, you've changed my life. I can't believe that, you know, you are truly this bad person. Yeah. Uh, and then the game master, you know, is like, well okay, let's let's see your check. And he just says, fail. Wow. And just yeah. chose to fail. And he's like, Great, you know, and she stabs him in the heart and he falls off the bridge. Okay just wow. because, and you know, you can hear the cheers in the background, just because that's part of the point of a one-shot, is that yeah. it's not about living, you know, to the, the next day, it's about having a fantastic story yes. in this moment.
0: Um, so, you know, that that actually raises another point in that, mm-hmm. I feel like with the campaign, there's a longevity to it. Right. And as a character, you want to survive. Now, Phoenix, down right. command, addresses some of that with right. the advancement through death. Kind of Absolutely. Um, but in the con game, you're much more likely to take risks to right. do those really crazy, like. And
1: that's where you know a the con game is yeah. that chance to do what Phoenix normally allows that most games don't, like right. to have that awesome moment of heroic sacrifice. Right? Because why not? Because why not? And that's right. a, another big thing to bear in mind is that in one shot games, the normal things that are driving people in a game like D anD D, which are things like experience and loot, right. don't matter at all because you're not keeping them. Right. So instead, you're just you creating want... that, that, sh- that really cool story. Right, right. And so that's again why those hooks to me, those things I ask questions about, are so much more important because right. for the players in that Prisoner of War game, the thing that really matters is the payoff of, you know, finally dealing with this yeah. guy who tormented them and killed their friends. Right. And, you know, what happens in the. Uh, you know that game, or you're going to run into things like, well, you left someone behind. Well, what do you know? Now they're a zombie that he's keeping in his retinue, right. uh, and you know how are you going to get your catharsis over that? You right. know, what I mean, having these moments, and that's that's again, I just can't emphasize enough. Treasure, you know, loot and experience are not what drive a one-shot game. You want those moments that are just incredibly satisfying story moments. You want to think about what are those, you know. Even if you don't know how they're going to come up. Obviously, the game master didn't expect him to set that up and then choose to fail. Yeah. But the moment, the possibility, just from the moment he says you could have this winning her over, he's created the possibility for that to go either way. Right. You know,
0: yeah, and like when you see stories on social media or on somebody's blog or whatever it might be about their con game experience, they're not talking about the experience points that they got. They're not talking about that maybe a magic item, depending on the magic item itself, not a plus one sword. Right. They're going to talk about those moments. Right? right? They're going to talk about that really cool scene or that set or whatever it was, that action that somebody you know they rolled that d twenty and something amazing happened. Uh, that that's what they're looking. For.
1: And and that's the point to me with penance is mm-hmm. again. Invariably, you know, I've run that game probably about ten times and that moment of do I kill my, my infected sister right. is just again just one of the best moments because it comes out of nowhere and the player is just suddenly like holy crap,
0: what would right. I do? Right. You right. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this, the, yeah. the, uh, the breakfast club scenario that we're talking yeah. about, it, was, it started on as dungeon crawl right. collapses, right? Right. And then all of a sudden it turns into a zombie game. Right. Right? Um, what was the player response in that regard? Was it like, oh, wow, this is amazing? Or was it like, oh, this is not what I was expecting at all?
1: Well, that's the trick, is that I've done similar things with an entire campaign. I did a mm-hmm. cyberpunk Cthulhu campaign that people didn't know going in was Cthulhu. Okay. Uh, and there you need to know that your players are going to have buy-in. Yeah. Uh, with something like Penance, I'm not as worried about it because worst comes to the worst, you're going to be fighting zombies. Right. And part of it is because both those tropes are so strong... The breakfast club scenario, everybody can get behind. Right. Uh, you know, we've got a nerd, a jock, a princess, and we're being punished for something. Right. Let's go. Uh, and zombies are a trope everybody gets. Right. I'm in a village and there's a zombie outbreak. Right. So generally, again, usually what happens is when people understand what goes on, because what happens is you get your way out of the dungeon, you're in the town square, nobody's there, that's weird. There's a guy hanging on gallows, and the, the jock is the son. The jock and the, the robe are actually the the children of the mayor of the town. Oh, wow. And that's part of the thing. You yeah. talk, you know, in their questions, we ask, like, what's your relationship with your dad? Right. You know, stuff like that. Because um, he's very disappointed in you, and right. that's why you're in doing detention. Uh, there's someone who's hanging from gallows, and we're like, well, that's weird. You know, we've, we've had an execution. Yeah. You know, that's very uncommon. Right. And when they go up to inspect the body, it grabs Oh, wow. You know, because it's a zombie. Yeah. Uh, And then that's when they're just like, whoa, okay, this just changed. You know, now we're like, what has happened in the two hours we've been down there?
0: Um, That's a really good, uh, like, just thinking about, I went to the horror and gaming panel
1: right last night.
0: and, uh, And I think that's a really cool way to bring an element of horror even into a game and
1: and that's the point of what's hard with horror is with a game like Call of Cthulhu they know they're in Call of Cthulhu right Right. and what I love about Penance is that point of they go into it thinking it's one thing and then it becomes a horror campaign and that's when people are like oh my goodness my, my brother runs the inn is he alive right you know and so it comes to this getting to the center discovering who survived but you know it gives people that moment of like I made up these characters earlier, but now I hope they're alive, right. you know, and right. is, our, is our father alive, right. is my brother alive, my sister, right, uh, you know, yeah. my favorite cat, right. you know, yeah. um, and so as I said, I've never had a bad experience, you know, some people really get into it and right. some people are like, yeah, I'll kill some zombies, right. uh, but generally, basically, the point of the dungeon crawl is it gives people time to inhabit these characters. It gives them time to work off of one another and build nice. their relationships with each other. And, you know, uh, one of the characters is the old man, who's basically the dwarf. Uh, he's the he's the, the stand-in for the principal in The Breakfast Club. Nice. Nice. He's the guy who's there to shepherd you kids through right. this crazy dungeon. Uh, and so, again, his brother runs the inn. You know, you go at one point through the dwarven catacombs, yeah. and the question is, are you going to, like... Steal the offerings that have been left behind, or you right. know, I mean, so you sort of build up these little relationships. Right. That then, when right. we suddenly say, "and now you're in a life or death zombie situation," as opposed to a casual, we're having fun in detention. Right. The fact that you've you've built up those relationships really makes
0: a difference. And it, you know, it's going to define how the characters interact in a stressful situation. Right. Right. Like how they and respond to each
1: other. so, I mean, another one that I use just as a standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting campaign for Eberron, not as a one-shot. I mentioned before, is the you're all on an airship going to Stormreach. We're going to spend the first hour or two of the game just with you literally meeting, meeting some of the other passengers, talking about stuff, uh, and then the, the airship gets hijacked. Right. And again, it is now, well, you're the only people here who have the skills needed to actually do something about it this. So situation. even though you don't yeah. know each other, right. get to work, Right, uh, and then the airship crashes. You know, you, you beat the hijackers, but it's off course, and the ring goes out. And right. now it's can we survive an airship crash? Right, right. Uh, and who else can survive? And now we're stranded somewhere with we're the only people. You know, plus these survivors who are right. likely going to try and help. And it's back to the uh, it's the opposite rather than telling you that you all knew each other and you're all old friends I'm dropping you into a situation where you have no resources but each other Right. and so by the time you get through the two or three adventures that are going to take you finally back to Stormreach uh, where you were headed before you are now people who have had each other's backs who have you been through this terrible thing right. and whatever your own personal goals are well you know you can use some capable people who right. you know have seen you through some stuff and so I really like that thing of sort of Again, that adventure, the point is when it gets to the hijacking, they're like, got it, we understand right. this, it's Die Hard. Right. And I'm like, no, it's not Die Hard, it's Lost.
0: <laughs> right? And, right. Yeah, you yeah. know, it uh, it's yeah.
1: still a familiar trope that people can play with, but whoa, that wasn't right. where we expected this to be going, and I love
0: that kind of twist. Right. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so um, we got the con going on uh we've been talking for a while i think we've pretty much covered the topic about ebron or just con games in general as well uh so i think that's a good wrapping up point yeah absolutely all right so um yeah keith it's been a pleasure to actually meet you in person i've loved your panels thank you so much and uh i guess i'll see you around the corner
1: absolutely i look forward to uh to our next uh full long distance manifesto yes
0: yes, indeed Where we'll have scott and wayne back and uh Uh, And again, apologies for missing our August episode, but hopefully in September we'll be able to get that going.
1: I'm driving around the country in a van for six weeks, (laughs) and it's hard to find Internet, so I'm glad that we could get this in here. Indeed, indeed. All All right, take care, everyone.
0: Yep, take care.